know how to do church better. But when I looked at all of my friends that were around me, the one thing that I noticed was they were all Christian. They were all followers of Jesus. In fact, even their dogs and cats were Christian. You know what I mean? Like we had Christian ease all around us. And I sense God telling me, I didn't call you to be the pastor of the holy cuddle-huddle church where we all get together and we huddle and we cuddle together, but we don't ever look outside to anyone who might be hurting. And I sense God saying, I called you to reach out to people who are hurting, people who are far from me, who have become disconnected from my church. Well, it wasn't long after that that I thought maybe the first step I could take is actually go to a conference where a church was impacting lives. And so I went to a a conference in Chicago at Willow Creek Community Church where Bill Hybels is the pastor at. And um, I'll never forget, I was sitting in this huge auditorium and Bill was speaking in front of a ton of pastors and church leaders. And he said, when are you going to get off your butts and walk across rooms to engage with people who are far from God and who Jesus is longing to have a relationship with. And man, I left from that conference and I was pumped and I was determined that my entire neighborhood was going to come to Christ. You know what I did? I got home, I sat on my couch, and I watched ESPN most of the time. I barricaded myself in my house, and I just whined a lot to God. I'm sure it was one of the worst whining sessions God ever had. Oh God, why have you brought me to Muncie? Why am I in the cemetery? I mean seminary. Why am I having to talk to people so much about God and you and God, can't you do anything? And this church that you want me to start, it's not working, God. When are you going to start moving? And all of a sudden, one particular day, I was looking out my window, and I felt this prompting in my spirit. Take the trash out. And I thought, that is weird. And I thought, I'm not going to do that. Is someone talking to me? I was the only one in the house. Take the trash out. I thought, well, that's, that's good. I'll go around to all the different, um, you know, rooms where they have little, you know, trash baskets. I'll put them all together. No, no, no. Take the trash out. And I didn't hear it audibly. I just heard it in my spirit. Take out the trash. So I go outside to our green tote that has no trash in it. And I start walking down the driveway with no trash in the trash can. And I get to the end of the driveway and my neighbor, who had just recently moved in, starts walking down with his green trash can. And I'm thinking, this must be it. So I put my trash at the end of the curb. I walk across the street. 
I put out my hand. I said, hey, my name's Chris. He said, hey, my name's Phil. And we talked to each other. I went back to the house. I waited until night because I wasn't going to take my trash out now because I knew he would think I was a weirdo. Phil would have many times to realize I was a weirdo, but he didn't need to know it on that day. Okay? So I get all my trash, I take it out there at night, you know, so he can't see, and I put it in there. Well, I think, well, that went pretty well. I'll invite him to a Muncie Central football game. So I go over and go, hey, you want to go? hey my, my kids used to play for Central. Yeah, I'd love to go. So we started going to football games together, and then he said, hey, you want to go to a basketball game? I said, yeah. And then one day he invited me over, and uh, he had some friends of his from work, and uh, we got there, and... Um, I partook of a couple beverages to, uh, you know, kind of get, you know, more connected with him. I met a, guy, a lot of guys from his work. And we just kept doing this over and over, and we built a friendship. And things were going really, really great. And finally, uh, I thought, man, I've got all these house projects. And, like, he's a tool and die maker. I bet he could, like, fix some stuff. So I said, Phil, come over. I said, you know, we got all this duck work that needs to be torn up. He goes, oh, I know how to do that. I'll get the cement. He, like, did everything in my house. And I sat back there all along going, man, you, I'm glad to be your neighbor. You know, I'm really glad. And uh, then I got a snowblower. And I was like, hey, let me show you how to, mow some, or to blow some snow, man. So I get out there and I do that. We shovel walks together. We just get to know each other more and more. And eventually, my wife Jennifer and I had this idea that before we started the jar, what became the jar, we would have a mission trip for people who were far from God. Every single person would not be a Christian. That was the criteria. So we invited 10 people, and I walked across the street. I said, hey, Phil, you want to go on this mission trip? He said, I'd love to go. Maybe my wife will go too. I was like, cool. And so we go on the mission trip, and, and that was great. Uh, I realized later on, Phil confessed, that, you know, Jen and I were the only Christians, so we went to bed at night. And then all the rest of them went to the cantina and uh, partook of beverages. And so now we have it in our mission statement that when you go on a mission trip, you can't do that. You know, but I was desperate, you know, at that point for anything that God would, would kind of do. And uh, about a month after the mission trip, I walked across the street. I said, hey, Phil, do you want to be a part of this Bible study. I didn't tell him it was a church because I didn't know if we were going to make it. But uh, he came, and, and he was one of the first five people that uh, met in my house. And uh, we started doing that. And I saw God transform his life, and his life started being impacted by uh, uh, tons of things. And just last week, um, first celebration, right over here in these seats, was his daughter, his son-in-law, uh, there are two kids, and she's pregnant now for a third kid. And uh, the son-in-law and the daughter were there today, and I talked to them, and, uh, and they, they were just, they were so grateful. And I was so grateful. I mean, two generations now that go further than Phil, and they're sitting there, and their life was being impacted. And, you know, folks, the weird thing is I'd love to say there was some big spiritual thing that I did. You know what it was? I simply took my trash out that had no trash in it. 
And I walked across the street, and that opened some doors. You know, this week I was sitting at uh, Ball State Library. I usually go there on Fridays and work on my teaching. And I just, I just prayed. I said, God, help me to never lose the image of people walking across rooms. Let me never lose the image of what it means to walk across the street, to walk across a workplace. I really do, at the heart of who Chris Bunch is, as much as anything, I want to be a walk-across-the-room kind of Christian. I don't want to be oblivious to my social settings. I don't want to be uh, oblivious to my neighborhood. I don't want to be oblivious to uh, when I'm going on a trip and I'm traveling. I don't want to be the ostrich who has my head in the ground because I'm fearful of everything. I want my head up looking out so that I could see people the way that God sees people. And when God shows me someone, I really hope that I see them enough to take the step, whatever it is. And if he tells me to walk, to risk, and trust, I hope that Chris Bunch will walk and risk and trust. And if I walk and I get to the other side and the person says, no thanks, I really don't need to know what you're selling here, that I'm kind enough and loving enough to be able to say, okay, no problem. Because I simply wanted to do what God told me to do. You know, folks, I I really believe that there is nothing that you can do in your life that is more amazing than helping people get reconciled to God. Like out of everything else you could do, and many important things that you could do, the most important thing is to reconcile people to a loving God. Just every single person here. That God really wants you to be just a walk-across-the-room kind of person. He wants you to walk across rooms. He wants you to walk across your factory floor. He wants you to walk across your office and engage with people who are hurting, who are wanting someone to show God's love to them. And He wants us as a jar to not become so comfortable with each other and people that we know and people who are like us and people who pray for us, who pray like us. He wants us to be the kind of church who looks outside ourselves and are willing to reconcile people no matter who they are, to be the first one. You know, the greatest joy that I see, it happened this week, in fact. Uh, Someone called and said, you know what, someone just walked across the room at a hospital and sat down with me for an hour while my husband was having surgery. And they it's in the jar. I never knew them before, but they did that. And I kept thinking, that's the kind of people that I want us to be. Walk across the room kind of folks. So I just want to ask you this morning, have you taken a risk lately? Have you taken a risk to walk across your neighborhood, your work, to engage with someone? Have you invested in anyone who you know is facing a Christless eternity? Now, last week, to be honest, was an encouraging sign for me. There were about 150 people. If you remember at the end of the celebration, I asked anyone uh, who 
would be this kind of influencer and people who are far from God to stand up. And there were about 150 people that stood up and they said two things. First of all, there's someone in my life who I really, really care about who is far from God. And the second thing that they said was, I am willing to commit my influence in that person's life to say, I am available, God, to reach out to them. So for the rest of our time, this is not a big heady teaching, but it's just a practical teaching on three coaching tips of how you can make a difference in someone's life. I mean, if you want to do business, if you're saying, I'm about doing business, I want to be that walk-across-the-room person, Chris, that you're talking about, then here's some tips. The first one is this. Live out a fully reconciled life in front of the people, of these people, every day. Live out a fully reconciled life in front of these people who you're trying to reach out to every single day. Folks, your enthusiasm for your faith in God, your willingness to serve and love people is the greatest asset that you have. It's not how much you know about the Bible. It's not necessarily how much you pray. It is about the way that you live your life. I think it was St. Francis of Assisi said, uh, preach the Word of God and use words if you have to. In other words, your life becomes an example to other people when you're following Christ closely. And there are some people who... To be honest, they just talk the talk. They just don't walk what? The walk. They don't walk. Donald Miller's a, a great author and writer, and he wrote a book a, a few years ago called Blue Like Jazz. If you haven't read the book, I'd strongly encourage you uh, to do so. It's the one I recommended in our self-feeding section that's in your program. Uh, each week when you get a program, you should look in the self-feeding section. That gives some ex- examples for you to self-feed. See, because the way that you grow the most is how? Not by coming here on Sunday. We want you to come. Like, don't say, hey, he told me I didn't have to come next week. No. Okay? You need to come here on Sunday. But the way that you grow the most is from Sunday afternoon till Sunday morning when you're reading the Bible, you're praying, and you're getting maybe a Christian book or two, and you're reading it and allowing God to do something in your life. And so he wrote this book. I'd encourage you to write it. And he tells the story... in in which one day he was uh, in college and he was on a secular campus and he and some of his friends got together and they just started kind of confessing about how they had not really impacted their campus at all for Christ. That they had lived out their Christian faith not very well on this campus, this secular campus. So they came up with this crazy idea that they were going to build a shed and they were going to put it in the middle of campus and they were going to write on the outside of it, Confession Booth. And uh, they kind of built this, put it there, and students could walk up, but this was the twist to the Confession Booth. Rather than students who were far from God, would walk in and they'd have to confess their sins. What would happen is they would have a Christian who would be in the booth and when the person would get into the booth, the Christian would start confessing sins 
of their life. And this is some of the things they would confess. You know, we have not been loving enough to you. We have an outrageously loving God who loves all people, but we have not loved you very well. We haven't helped all the students enough. There are a lot of students on campus who are struggling with stuff, and we haven't helped them. We haven't raised money for the poor. We haven't tried to confront racism. We have not lived our life like Christ followers. And I was thinking about that story in that book this week, and I thought, wow, can you imagine the impact that that might have on people when Christians would be real enough to say, we're not loving enough the way that we are. Because the ugly truth is this, folks. There are a lot of people who go around talking that they go to church, talking about they're a Christ follower, talking and talking and talking. They just don't walk that way. There are people who you know, maybe some of you are it, you sit in your office and when the gossip line comes, you jump in. Whoa, this feels good. Everybody likes me now. Or you're at work and, uh, you know, you, you talk badly about somebody. And you, you think that no one's looking. But folks, people are always looking. And every time someone who claims to be a Christian... Uh, does these kind of things. You know what it does? It repulses people who are far from God. They're like, are you serious? And so when you'd go, hey, I'd like to invite you to the jar, October 27th. They're like, what? Because you don't walk the walk. I want to tell you a story about a couple guys. I mean, they walk the walk. Two guys in Acts 16... Uh, one guy's named Paul, the other guy's named Silas. And uh, they're spreading the message of Jesus, and they're sharing it with uh, anyone, everyone that they could. And as they do this, they get arrested for doing this. They get uh, stripped naked, they get beaten, and then they get flogged. Flogging was where they would take a whip, and on the end of the whip there would be rocks or still, and when they would whip the person in their back, it would actually get into the back and it would strip the person. It would skin the person. Jesus took 39 of those. That was the most anyone had ever taken before. But Paul and Silas took this on. And they're in the midst of this dark, filthy dungeon, ready to rot and kind of die. And they come up with an idea. Silas. Let's sing. What? No. Let's sing. And they start singing praises to God. Now, some of you took a financial hit this week. The government got shut down. Uh, I talked to a few people uh, who are in the military. They're not getting paychecks. They're getting IOUs. And uh, they've been impacted. A couple of people that are contractors for the military, they're not getting uh, paid. If you've invested any money in the market, you've seen it go down this week. And the debt crisis is coming in uh, October 17th, and, and that may affect us even more. Now, during this whole time, have any of you attempted to sing praises to God 
during. To be joyful. To show strength. You see, Paul and Silas are sitting in a jail with broken teeth and bleeding lips and ripped open backs. And they're just singing to God. And God hears their songs and He sees their hearts. And God sends an earthquake. And the earthquake shakes this prison enough that the doors actually open up and these two guys are free to go. And the only problem is there's a jailer who's responsible for this cell block. And he looks down. He's fallen asleep during all of this. But he looks down now and he sees the the prison door wide open. And do you know what the penalty was if you're a prison guard and you leave the door open and someone gets free? Death. So he pulls out his sword and he's like, I'd rather kill myself than to go through what, the Roman, what I've done to other people, so I'm just going to kill myself. And he gets the sword up and he's just getting ready to kill himself. And look what it says in verse 28. But Paul shouted out, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for the lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And the combination of their midnight singing and they're not escaping, had such an influence on these guys' life that the jailer, right on the spot, think about that, right on the spot, what can I do to be saved? They didn't witness to this guy. They didn't pull out four spiritual laws. They didn't uh, give him a track. They just lived their life, and in doing so, he cries out, what must I do to be saved? You know what we find out later in the text? That the jailer and his entire household, and that Greek word actually means like extended family, so not just his wife and kids, but aunts and uncles and cousins and every like everyone in the household the slaves everybody came to Christ you see folks there's just something that is really really powerful that happens when Christ followers are courageous enough to live godly lives i mean Paul and Titus could have easily walked out and ran away but they were more concerned about walking across a prison cell than they were their own life. So I just want to ask you this morning, how convincing is your witness today? How convincing is your capacity to love? How convincing is your steadiness in the midst of storms? How convincing is your ability to forgive? Someone offends you. Someone at work. Do people look and go, ah, (laughs) don't worry about it. Joe's going to forgive that person. Man, he's like that all the time. Things happen all the time. Joe, yeah, Joe, yeah, Joe, man. I mean, like, he's the real deal. Or Sally. Every time people start gossiping, she just goes, 
hey guys, I'm not going to be a part of this. I've never heard her put down another person. How convincing is your compassion for the poor? First scripture that we looked at in the very first teaching of the Influence series was Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. I'm going to pull it up here on the side screens. And I'd like us to read this out loud together. Let's read it out loud. Let your light shine before people that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. In other words, let your light shine. In other words, live it out. Live out your faith. Let it shine before people that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Here's my second little bit of coaching for those of you who want to see people reconciled in your life is this. It's kind of a second part. Is to take time to listen and really understand why the person you care about has not already reconciled with God. Take the time to actually listen and really understand why the person you care about has not already reconciled with God. We talked last week about this concept of 3D living. That we want to see people differently. That when you really give your life to Christ and you're trying to follow Him, that all of a sudden your eyes change and you see people differently. And last week we talked about developing friendships with people who are far from God. Looking past their obvious flaws, failures. If they drink too much, if they cuss too much, if they swear too much, if they do whatever too much that you think is moral, that you just say, you know what? I can, I can look beyond that. I can look beyond that. And today, I want to talk about our second D, which is discovering stories. How do you discover other people's stories? Now, have you ever stopped to think why really, really, really smart people, really, really, really kind people, wonderful people, why are some of those people not reconciled to God? Have you ever thought about that before? You know what? I often think when I I see very, very smart people or very, very kind people, wonderful people, I often wonder, what is the barrier? You see, there's something that has happened. They're they're great people, good people. What's the barrier? This is part of what you've got to do. If you want to see people reconciled to God, the first thing you've got to find out is, hey, what's the barrier here? A couple years ago, I was having lunch with a woman, who was a very strong woman. She's in management, and uh, we were having uh, lunch together. And uh, she had come to church just a, just a couple of times. And she was, she was extremely smart, but she was extremely skeptical about uh, this whole Jesus thing. And so I'm in the midst of my lunch with her. And typically, if I'm having lunch with a female, I try to be gentle and kind. I think that's important. But this was the kind of woman that she, you had to shoot it straight with her. So I just kind of said, hey... Why do you keep pushing Jesus away? And she's like, 
I don't think I'm good enough. I said, really? Why? She goes, well, isn't it obvious? I smoke. I drink. I'm in debt. I haven't lived a very good life. And when people are far from God, they always want to make you know that, like, they're not, um, you know, Freddy Krueger or anything like that. So then I'll never forget. She goes, but I've never been, like, in prison. Because, you know, folks, there are some Christians who are more Christian in prison than there are those that are outside of prison. A lot. Of them. Um, that was for free. That wasn't really here, so you think about that this week. But there are some things, she said, that are about me that are really, really ugly. And I just looked at her and said, well, I think you have a misunderstanding here with, with who Jesus is. So I kind of felt this prompting, this that I would give the bridge illustration that I'm going to share with you here in just a second and that you can share. The only problem was I wasn't prepared, uh, which is always not a good thing, but the server was there. We were at Chili's. I said, do you have a piece of paper and a pen? She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got one. And so uh, I went down. You can draw this on your, in your program. I'm going to show you how to do it here on the screens in just a second. But the first reality that I wanted this woman to understand was that there are two kind of beings. You see, folks, we matter to God. One of the things we've been talking about constantly is that people really, really matter to God. And so I had to give this illustration that there are two kind of beings. There is us and there is God. That's the two beings, us and God. But between us and God is a chasm. That a division that exists. And because of our tendency to rebel and sin and want to do our own thing, we really don't want God to be in control of our lives, so we do our own thing. How many of you did that this week? Oh, we're all holy. Like this whole section almost. No, I don't know if you're asleep or what. Oh no, we are holy, you know. Now all of us... All of us this week did something that did that. Don't sit there and think, oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, you did. If your name isn't Jesus Christ, you did something. (laughs) So, what do we do? Well, what we try to do is we try to bridge that gap. How do we do that? We go to church. We give money. We, uh, you know, give to charities. We pay our taxes. We do all the things that we think good people should do because that way if we do enough good stuff, us will get to God. And so we think we can bridge the gap. And so we go for it. But there's a dilemma. And the dilemma is... No matter how much you try to get do, you're not holy like God is holy. God is separate from us. He is holy other. He's separate from us. So, we try all these things, but we just can't quite get there. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing good things. The Bible tells us we should. But at the end of the day, all of our human efforts 
in the world will never be enough to get us to the other side. Now the sins that we've committed, they have to be punished. And the scripture tells us the punishment for our sins is death. Whatever separated us, that the punishment is death. Now, if you're a parent, or you've been a kid, or you have a parent, you understand punishment, and you understand discipline. You do something wrong, you get in trouble. Who are the worst parents in the world? Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. No. They do whatever they want, and then they land up living with you when they're 30. So you don't want them to do that. You want to give them some clear criteria. And God says, I love my kids. I love these creations of mine. But I cannot handle sin. It repulses me. And so, he says there's a penalty for that. It's death. And no one likes death, right? I've said death three times in the last 30 seconds. And some of you right now are going, ugh. What is he talking about? I buried someone two weeks ago. People crying everywhere. They're overwhelmed. Why? Because we don't like death. No one ever, you know, uh, you go to an interview. Hey, what are some of your hobbies? Well, I really like death. Go to a lot of funerals and that's what I do. No. We hate death. We, We don't want that. But the reality is, folks, there's nothing you can do that can prevent it. You on your own, you're not going to stop that. Every single one of us have something in common. We're all going to die. But, and this is, you know, like there there are buts that are really, really important in Scripture. But, the Scripture says that God wanted to take a solution for the dilemma that we were in, and He sent Jesus, and He bridged the gap, of the cross, and we can show that. And he marked out death, and he said, now you can walk across to the other side if you choose Christ. You can walk across. But the thing is is that you've got to act upon it. You can't just know it. There are tons of your friends that if you said, hey, do you know how do you get to God? Yeah, Like Jesus, right? Yeah. People know this, but you have to act upon it. And I remember sitting at lunch with this woman, and I just asked her, I said, well, now that you understand this, where would you say you're at? And I had her put an X wherever she was at. And she said, I think I'm right in the middle. I'm not on one end. I'm not all the way to Christ. Now, this is what I did not do once she put the X there. I did not do this. Well, let me just pray with you. Or I didn't try to preach her in. You know what I mean? Someone's not quite ready and they're like, well, here, you know what it says? And then they quote you like 50 million verses. You're like, what? doesn't help. I just took the piece of paper and I slid it across the table and I said, you know what? I think that's a really important thing for you to kind of look at and understand in the days ahead. If you get nothing else out of this illustration, this is what I want you to get. That Jesus is the bridge to God. 
If you want to get to God, you've got to help your friends understand that there is a bridge that they cannot do on their own, but only Christ and a commitment to him can do that. And that's what gets us there. Jesus came to earth to be our bridge. In fact, the Bible put it this way. Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, and he will not be condemned. He has crossed over from life to death. You see, folks, your time here on earth is like one grain of sand. Your time in heaven, in eternity, is like all the other grains of sand in the world. So the next time that you're on a beach or you see sand, think about that. Think about all the grains of sand in the world. You can't even count them. That's what your life is going to be like in heaven. But until then, are we going to invest in people and influence people's lives who are far from God? So I slid that piece of paper across the table And then I just said, hey, I got a book that I think might be a helpful book to you. Um, It's called The Purpose Driven Life. And I gave that to her. I think it's a great book for people who are investigating things of faith. And uh, she went ahead and, and she took it and she read it. And what was interesting to me is that as she read it, she started coming to church more. And she'd come more and more and more. And eventually, she said, I want the bridge builder to be in my life. And she accepted that. Now, for some of you, this illustration works well. For others of you, you're like, That's, I don't get that. I don't know what you're talking about. You can look online if you want, and it can explain it to you. But you're like, That's, I don't care what you use. The key is you listen to the person long enough so you find out what the barrier is. For her, the barrier was, I'm not good enough because I don't do these moral things that all of the Christian world says you should do. And once I got that, then I could show her, well, here's the real barrier. It's not all that stuff. It's the stuff in our lives that get us away from God. And maybe some of those things are it, but not all of them. And all of a sudden, that made sense to her. But whatever the process is you use, you just got to keep in mind the importance of understanding what is the barrier. I think of my sister. Um, For the past ten years, I've tried to reach out to her in different ways. And uh, she's always very encouraging to me, uh, if, I, if I invite her to come, she'll, she'll come on a Sunday. And uh, she's always very encouraging about the jar. It, it's funny. She'll say, I, I invited some people to go to your church. You know, like they'll come up and they'll go, hey. She'll go, ah, go to the, you should go to the jar. Um, but, but, but she's never been reconciled. And, and so one day we were at their house. And I just said, hey, what's the barrier? And she, you know, kind of gave an answer. She goes, well, you know, you have your ways and I have my ways. You know, people do that a lot when you ask questions. I'm like, I get that, but what stands in the way of you being reconciled? And 
my sister can be pretty direct, and she said, you really want to know? I'm like, yeah. And then she went on to talk about the pain that she had experienced as a teenager growing up as a PA, a preacher's kid. You see, there's eight years difference between my sister and myself. So when you're in elementary, like my girls are right now, you all look at them and you think, oh, they're angels, unless you've been in our kids. And then you think, wow, he needs some help, you know. But you look at them and they're in elementary or they're young, you're like, oh, they're great. But when kids get to become teenagers, all of a sudden if you're a PK or a preacher's kid, it's like the spotlight gets shown right on that kid. And my parents, to their credit, they never gave us high expectations. They knew we were going to fail. They were great parents, uh, not to put unrealistic expectations on us. But some of the youth leaders who were a part of the church at that time started putting expectations on my sister in ways that she couldn't live up to. And then when she couldn't, all of a sudden she started feeling shame, a lot of shame. And then when she started rebelling as a teenager, it was interesting that everyone else would look at their own kids and give them a pass, but not the preacher's kid. And this just pushed her further and further and further away from God until finally she has a very hard time trusting you people. You church people. She has, a, she has a hard time trusting you. Because the only path that she knew was that these people who were supposed to be representing God were hypocrites. And so if they're hypocritical, then their God must be hypocritical too. And so over the past ten years, it's been a real slow process, but just kind of encouraging her. And, and many times I, I've got to say, hey, you know, Christians don't always represent God. And that sometimes churches don't represent God all that well. This is probably a conservative number, but I bet I've invited my sister at least 30 times in the last 10 years. Easter, Christmas, first of the year. You should always invite every single person you know those three times. Okay? And she's come. She's come multiple times. Uh, and we, we've had great times uh, together. And this last year, if you remember at Easter, we had these big walls. And we were done with it. And she's like, oh, that was awesome. And I said, you know, that one big wall that we had over there that was like the wall, how are you doing with that one? And she's like, well, I'm, I'm healing up a little bit. But if I go to my grave before my sister is reconciled, it'll be one of the biggest holes in my heart. And so I simply want to do anything and everything that I can to take walks to show her love. Because she's amazing. 
I mean, she's related to me. She's amazing, you know. She just had a terrible church experience growing up as a teenager. And let me be candid. There are dozens and dozens of you who are sitting here today. You steered away from God and the church for a long time because you had a bad church experience. Or you felt so embarrassed because of something from your past. Maybe it was substance abuse or addiction to pornography or an affair that took place in a hotel years ago or bankruptcy that you had to file. And many of you have steered away from God for a long, long time because you didn't believe there was a God who loved you enough that was powerful enough to love you and to take care of your sins, no strings attached. But then someone sat down with you or someone invited you to a celebration or someone invited you to a cookout or they drew you the bridge illustration or you came here one Sunday and all of a sudden you thought to yourself, there is a God who loves me and is powerful enough to reach into my life and take care of everything. That there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. There's nothing I can do to make God love me less. God simply loves me, no strings attached. And you learn forgiveness, and you learn grace, and your barrier has been overcome. You see, when you walk towards people, because you've had a vision correction in your own life, the key is to uncover what is the barrier in their life, and you listen enough, and when you do that and the barriers come undone, it's the most exciting work in the world. Well, there's one last thing before we're done. One more coaching tip. You want to make a difference in someone's life? You've got to pray for open doors. You simply pray for an open door. You pray for an open door. I like the way that uh, Paul, the guy who was in prison that I talked to you about earlier, he wrote one day these words. In Colossians 4, 3, he said, pray for us that God may what? What's it say? Open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. How? Clearly. You know, each day I wake up and I pray that God will open doors in people's lives. And I pray that God would use me if he needs to. And... uh, On my alarm clock for my uh, cell phone at 1 o'clock, it rings every day at 1 o'clock. And I pray for three people, my sister, Clint, and Troy. Every single day, 1 o'clock, I have it on there. And I just say, God, God, would you open a door? God, please open a door. Now, there's something that you need to know about open doors or the prayer for open doors. I mean, when you're actually in a conversation, how do you know that the other person is saying, hey, I've got an open door now? What do you got to do? You've got to test the door, right? You've got to test the door. I mean, if you've been praying, and some of you, I fell into this trap a long time too. People are like, oh, yeah, I pray for, oh, I pray for Aunt Judy, Aunt Judy, oh, Aunt Judy. We've got to pray for Aunt Judy. She is far from God. You prayed for Aunt Judy for 50 years. Who cares? 
Did you walk over to Aunt Judy's life and say, Hey, what's going on? Can I give you something? Can I, can I love you in some way? You see, sometimes we, we, we pray a lot longer than what Jesus really wants. He just said, Hey, now take a walk. Walk. At the beginning of this school year, my eyes locked on with our crossing guard at my daughter Jordan's school. Uh, elderly gentleman, uh, I think he's probably around 80. You know, the guy comes out, holds the sign, and all the parents are really mad, like, who is walking across here? I'm late because of the crossing guard. And it's usually because of me, because I park on the street, and I'm like, I want to walk my daughter to school. There's going to be a day she doesn't want me to walk her to school, but I'm walking her. So he comes out there, and he does that, and I locked eyes with him for the first month, and I'd say hi to him, pleasantries. And finally, uh, I was like, I need to know his name. So I just walked. I said, hey, what's your name? He said, my name's Jackie. I said, hey, my name's Chris. This is my daughter, Jordan. Uh, yeah. He goes, please keep parking where you do. I love to be the crossing guard for you. And so uh, we do that when I take Jordan to school. And Jordan went to school one day, and she found out that uh, Jackie wasn't there. And she goes, Dad, Jackie wasn't there. And I said, well, why? And she said, I don't know. And we found out then that Jackie's wife had been in the hospital. And she was sick. And Jordan's like, Dad, we should pray. I'm like, you're right, we should. So we start praying for Jackie. Well, this, uh, this was last Friday, two Fridays ago. So this past Monday, I get Jordan. We were walking across the street. There's the crossing guard. Jackie, hey, Jackie, how's it going? Good, good, good. Take Jordan up and uh, drop her off at school. And I walk back across. I go, hey, Jackie, I just wondered, um, how's your wife doing? And he's a real stoic kind of guy. And he goes, she died Friday. And I said, oh, man, I said, I'm so sorry. And I thought, ah, maybe, maybe there's a little door here. And so I said, well, well, when's the funeral? And he said, well, I already had it. It was on Sunday. I was afraid my kids would be fighting too much over everything. So I just, I just went ahead and I did it on Sunday. And I said, oh, man, I'm so sorry to hear that. And then just out of the blue, he's real stoic. He's not crying. Like, if that was me, like, if my wife ever dies, you guys might as well go find another pastor, okay? Because I will be done and out for at least a year, okay? Maybe longer. Maybe that's... But he's not doing anything. And all of a sudden, he just looks at me and goes, what do you do? And I said, well, that's a door, you know. I said, well, I'm a pastor at the JAR. We meet, you know, down at the Y. And he said, oh, I know you're kind. <laughs> I've never been called your kind before. You know what I mean? Like, I, I was like, man, does he know something from my past, you know? But he says, I know you're kind. He said, we had one of them come and pray for my wife, and she actually lived two additional years. And I could tell we were kind of warming up a little bit, and I go, well, yeah, my prayers don't do that. <laughs> you know? And he kind of chuckled a little bit. And I said, but yeah, I'm a pastor, and 
I want you to know you are welcome any time to come down to the jar. Now, I have no idea where this relationship might go. No idea whatsoever. But folks, I just want to encourage you that once you build a relationship with someone, you've got to test the door. You've got to test the door. You've got to ask them, where are things at spiritually? If you've given a resource like a book or a CD, that's a great next step, folks. You give someone a book or a, a CD of a teaching or something, you say, hey, what do you think of that? You know, they might say, oh, it's horrible. Yeah, I know Chuck taught that Sunday. Don't worry. I mean, like, that's not our pastor. Let me get a different one for you. I love that guy. But this is just what I want to say, that if you go and the door isn't open, guess what? You respect the door. If the door's closed, you respect the door. Any Christ follower who tries to barge through a door does more damage and destruction than anything else. You test the door, but you respect the door. Let's say that out loud together. You test the door, but you respect the door. And if the door is closed, it doesn't mean that you give up. It simply means that you keep praying for an open door whenever that's going to be. For my sister, it's been 10 years. Now let's say that the door is open. Then you can walk right into the door and you can tell about your story and tell about God's story. And these next couple of weeks, I've just been praying that some of you would be convicted enough that you would really start to test some doors in your life. You pray for people you've written. Now, test the doors. One great way to do that is, if you would, in your program, if you pull this out, don't just go throw this away, but here's an invitation for October 27th where you can actually go and you can test a door. And if the person's like, I'll make an airplane out of this before I'd ever go, well, okay, I guess you're not ready, are you? But it's a great way to test the door. And what if they said, yeah, I'll go. And what if, out of the 150 people who stood up last week and said, I want to invest, I want to have an influence, what if just half of them, what if 75 people came to say, this God of a second chance, and they got their second chance, and they were like, wow, thank you so much. You would never forget that moment where the person said, today was my day. And they would thank you for it, and you would thank God for it for the rest of your life. Well, let's stand for closing prayer, and I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. And if if you need some major prayer for, like, open doors, you come up, they'll pray with you for that. And if you, um, if you need a door opened in your own life, that they'll pray for that as well. So let's pray. God, you told us that you loved the world. And you're, you told your followers to go out every single day to try and reach people. 
You told us that your Holy Spirit would always be there to help us. But at some point along the way, we simply had to say yes. Yes, that the way I'm going to live my life is your way, God. I'm going to raise the risk factor in my life. I want to be able to influence people to come to Christ. And I'm going to go for it now, God, every single day. And I'm not going to let discouragement or frustration or a lack of results hold me back. I'm not going to let fear rule me. I'm going to get so absorbed. I'm not going to get so absorbed in my life. I'm going to actually say, God, I want to have a life that is willing to be used by you. I'm available to you. So God, give us courage to live those kind of lives. And God, I pray right now through the power and authority of Jesus Christ, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open doors of people here whose friends or neighbors or co-workers or family members are far from you, that there would be doors that would be opened and that people would love them through the open door. Oh God, go with us now. Help us to be your hands and your feet. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, have a great week.